Hello and welcome to episode 149 of In The Move For Podcast. I am Callum Reid. And I'm Peter Shepard. And I woke up today and I'm less gay than I thought I was. Interesting. At least outwardly. Outwardly? Less outwardly gay? Yes. Um, have you lost a piercing of some description? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um... No, basically, it was the work summer party last mm. night. And you lost your you lost your favourite Wham t-shirt? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically what happened was, I was, you learn things, you learn uh, the next morning things that you don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girl at work apparently said that I went up to um, the lead singer female singer of the band mm. um, who were playing last night mm-hmm. and told her she was extremely hot. Really? Really? And That's interesting because I went to the lead singer of a band playing at a pub who was a bloke and told him it's extremely hot so maybe we're having some sort of uh, Lindsay Lohan style body swap <laughs> comedy at, that's going on. We can meet in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do a bisexual range. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis to my Lohan. <laughs> but um... Uh, the said singer had to be explained that I was gay. In fact, did oh really? Did she like you? Find that persu- no, uh. I think she was weirded out. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so somebody explained to her, and then she was fine. Right, so, oh, don't worry, he's gay. I wish some people said about me. I get, I get away with so much. <laughs> you see the fag hag? Mm, I do. Um. Okay, we have sporting news this week. Mm. Barcelona have won the Champions League. What very, a good match well that was. Entertaining. It was about 10 minutes of where they shut it down in, in the first half, but I mean, it was an entertaining game. Yeah. Like, um, Stanislav Vavrinka won the French Open. Awesome. He was amazing in, that, in the uh, last the half dozen or so games. Yeah. And um, Steve McLaren has joined Newcastle. Yeah, after getting sacked by two championship clubs. <laughs> Only then is it right to be rewarded with the uh, the jewel in the northeast's crown. That's just to annoy you, by the way, me saying that. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, I wonder if now Steve McLaren's going to adopt a Geordie accent. We've had that, yeah, we, we've had that at work, yeah. The Dutch accent. <laughs> yeah. That's just embarrassing. <laughs> Linguists will tell you that is impossible, Steve. Mm. I've just picked it up. <laughs> In four days. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so I just wanted to mention before we get onto the film news that I'm currently working on the third year compilation. Oh God. of the podcast because we have been going over three years now Oosh. Um, which will feature more of the same basically <laughs> there's not a whole lot of positivity going to be on it disparagement, debauchery <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
bitching. Um, there's plenty. Jodie Foster gets it. Um, well, she would. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Norland's um, in the firing line. Really? What a shock. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. Mm. Alright, um, this week's news. Helen Mirren's won another award for playing the Queen. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> she won a Tony Award for um, her role in the audience. On Broadway, is it wrong that I thought she was doing like Lily Savage the musical? <laughs> <laughs> so I'd pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> They'd show a range at the very least. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, can we stop giving her awards already, please, for the Queen? That the Queen. Was, I mean, that was a fun two months where she won everything oh well no, she didn't win everything didn't Ellen Page win one small like in New York Online or something like that for uh, Juno no, I don't think it was even that big I think it was something like Iowa <laughs> that yeah but everything else that's that's unprecedented mm. Mm. well in the modern era when there are that many small tiny uh, film critics awards yeah Penelope Cruz people mm. Sandra Huller. Yeah. <laughs> There's loads. There's loads. Um, right, uh, we've got a litany of deaths this week. Um, we really so let's, do. Let's crack on with the biggest of them, which is Sir Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. I'm, do you want to guess um, how many credits Christopher Lee has? I would guess... I haven't looked. About 180. 281. Mm. Prolific. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 147 of those are Tim Burton films. <laughs> oh, Dracula. Mm. From well, 1947 it, it, all the way up until... Um, well, that, most, Last week, probably. <laughs> well, the, the Hobbit he was in, that you mm. saw. Mm. Um, and we saw him in Night Train to Lisbon. Yes. To watch our show as well. Yeah. Well, really, Christopher Lee's uh, career, I mean, in terms of what you think, when you think of Christopher Lee, really falls into three, well, for me, falls into three different categories. You've got the modern, uh, like, 21st century stuff, which is basically split between him being in Lord of the Rings and uh, Tim Burton films. Well, just uh, fantasy general, because he was in Hugo, too. Mm. Mm. And then, um, obviously, back in the day, you've got him... Fu Manchu, Dracula, playing like, iconic characters, uh, and then in the middle, there's this thing. There's that little period in the in the mid seventies where he suddenly became like really prevalent and relevant. Like he, he was doing the Three Musketeers, um, mm. uh, Man with Golden Gun, and um, the Wicker Man, uh, and then the sequel to the Three Musketeers, former Musketeers. I mean, he's fun playing Rochefort. There's no getting around it. I mean, it's, it's good casting. Um, um, yeah, I haven't seen any of the Dracula films. I've seen bits here and there. Uh, I've seen uh, it's the sort of thing that's on. Christopher Lee's in a lot of like old British uh, Hammer horror stuff that is shown on um, uh, was shown on Film Four when it first became a uh, uh, a free to air channel. Yeah. Whereas now um, you don't really see it as much. It's, it's gone more in a different uh, direction. Yeah, mm. um, but 
I mean, he was very old. Uh, he looked very old, you know. Mm. But, I mean, it's a hell of an achievement to work from 1947 to 2013. Oh, it's 2014. Quite, oh, it's quite incredible. Mm. And next, we have uh, Ron Moody died. Of course, Oscar nominee for um, Oliver. Mm. That's Fagan. Very good in Oliver. One of the plus points, I would say. Yeah, oh, definitely is one of the better things, I mean, but it's not really saying much. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I think I think Oliver's okay. Um, it's very, it's alright. It's very dated. Uh, of the musicals of its time, it's probably one of the weakest. It's not Doctor Doolittle, but it's, it's a step below um, rest uh, of, of the sixties musicals. Uh, but well, I, fi- I put it I put it on par with My Fair Lady. I think. Mm. Uh, mm, well, I, I, I actually really like that one, but. Anyway. Oh really? I do, I do. Shoot me, shoot me. I liked it. Um, do you remember that when they were going to remake it with Kira? Oh god, but that got shelved. <laughs> Isn't that everything ever? They were just going to remake it with Kira. <laughs> I could see her in that role. <laughs> what Fagin? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, aside from Oliver. Have you seen anything with him? It's a, it's, it's a lot of TV. I, I had a quick look earlier. It's a lot of TV. There isn't much else. Mm. Uh, and then, um, uh, you, who else have we got this week? Who's uh, depart, shifted off this mortal coil? This mortal coil. Um, there is a Frenchman by the name of Jean Gruot, um, who was a screenwriter who mainly worked with Truffaut. Okay. Um, he wrote Jules and Jim. Right. He wrote The Wild Child. Mm, that's um, po- okay, some more, some of the more interesting ones then. Yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar for writing My American Uncle, Jack Tati film. Mm-hmm. He wrote The History of Adele H. Right. Okay. Which is very good. A Johnny Great and that. Mm-hmm. Oh, epic performance. Um. How was how was he not nominated for screenplay for Adele H? I really don't. Know. We overlooked there. For, uh, for, foreign screenplays were more early and like around like the forties, forties, fifties, and then into the early two thousands they're getting nominated pretty much every year. But mm. it's all, it's all very hit and miss when it comes to the Oscars and foreign language uh, films in general. Yeah. Mm. So who's the guy that you was going to surprise me with? Yeah, Robert know. Robert Chartoff. He's a, he was a producer, and uh, he has quite he's an Oscar winning producer actually. But he has what for? Uh, well, he produced Rocky, mm. but he also produced they shoot they shoot horses, don't they? Awesome film. New York, New York, and Raging Bull. Wow. Uh, Rocky and the Right Stuff. The Right Stuff, very undimensioned. What a great film The Right Stuff is. Epic. That is an epic film in scope. Yes. Uh, Very ambitious, very long, but well edited. Mm. Mm. Um, It's, well, it's certainly one of the more interesting films from that year, which is not very good. Yeah. A couple that I... uh, He also was an exec producer on Come to Horseman. And uh, there's That's all right, I've seen that. uh, True Confessions, I want to see, but I've never got around to seeing it. Uh, Bobby De Niro and uh, Duval, I think, and then uh, in Straight Talk with, with Parton as well. Nice. Mm. 
So he's got, he's got a very nice... Uh, with those four, I mean, with um, with They Shoot Horses, Rocky, Raging Bull and the right stuff, you've got three, four Best Picture numbers there? Yeah. Was, was They Shoot Horses numbered as well? Um, or they, one No, yeah. I don't think so. But yeah, very, 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 uh, very good stuff there. Yeah, he, how old was he? He was 81. Right. Okay, so... Yeah, it's, it's like an obituary column this week, but you know. Mm. Um, yeah, nine nominations for um, uh, They Shoot Horses without a Best Picture. That's got to be approaching a record. Yeah, I think it's 11 for The Colour Purple. Okay. Um, right, the last bit of news we have. Um, the, the New York Film Festival announced that The Walk is going to open it. This is the film by Robert Zemeckis, which is based on Man on Wire. Right. And it it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt with a French accent. Oh dear. As Philippe Petit, who um, walked between the Twin Towers. On Why don't you just get Louis Garrel? Doesn't get people in the cinema? Mm, I suppose. But um, whisperings about the accent are not positive <laughs> at the moment from um, some of the material that's been released. But uh, it's a difficult one whether to go with the accent, whether not to. I think I think well they're Americans, so they're gonna. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Excited for that, Ro- Robert Zemeckis. Not really. Well. Yeah, not really. I wouldn't. Excited isn't the word I would use to describe my feelings towards that film, though. No. Well, I'll and see also, it. Probably. And also, does it need to be made after that documentary? She has an argument. It was a very good documentary. It was uh, won the Oscar. It's difficult as well when something is a docudrama and we created scenes and they've used home foot, the home footage. Um, it's you mind that, isn't it? It's, it's not like they've, they've created drama with that because they made that documentary like it was a heist movie, so you've already kind of done it. But I don't know. It, it's um, it's, it's possible. Hmm. Okay. Um. All right. Should we get onto red light district? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any? <laughs> well, okay. One. Well, it's. I don't think it's a great film. By any stretch of the imagination, but it was on TV the other day, and it, I was—I thought it was going to be terrible, and it wasn't. Hold uh, on, so- actually, hold on. Sorry, I'm just going to explain to the people listening. Ah! Since we've got some um, constructive Think comments <laughs> saying we, we should explain our segments more, this, this is basically a segment where we talk about the films that we've seen that aren't current from um, yeah. the last month. Mm. Right, uh, so uh, Cuban Fury was on TV, and I just expected the train wreck, and it wasn't the train wreck, and it was actually quite amusing. Is this uh, Jack Black? No, it's uh, Nick Frost. Oh. And he, he basically uh, he used to be a dancer, he's given it a... Uh, Ian McShane used to be his teacher. And he's trying to pull his bo- uh, boss at work, Rashida Jones, uh, with mm. through, through the medium of dance. Chris O'Dowd is playing the git, who's like better looking and Chris O'Dowd's really uninteresting but the character's supposed to be a tosser so you can't really blame him for the performance yeah. but um, it's actually quite amusing and um, 
the set while he isn't very good in terms of if Nick Frost is nobody's idea of a dramatic actor or a dancer, so he just basically just stands around and like, uh, spins people. And all, what kind of dance is it? Uh, salsa. Oh God, <laughs> I definitely could not imagine that. <laughs> but it's better than the uh, usual cheese of this type, so I, it's, it's certainly, certainly a watchable enough one. Okay. Um, I watched. What did I watch? I watched the Harvey Girls, um, which is a musical from 1946, starring Judy Garland. Right. She's. This, this is the man who claims that he's now appearing less gay. <laughs> Good old Judy. Um, basically, she's on her way from Ohio um, on a train called the Santa Fe off to, I think it's somewhere in California, um, because she's agreed to be a mail-order bride for this this um, guy who owns a ranch in California. Um, Is this a Judy uh, Garland film or a Shu Key film? <laughs> Why? Is it reminiscent? Of <laughs> no, it's just, it's just a, yeah, no. <laughs> mail-order bride. Yeah, that's the dream. Um, but she's on the train, and she happens to be on the train with this troop called the Harvey Girls who are basically I don't know what they are it's kind of like young a young women's institute and they kind of go around and introduce culture into the lives of common folk um, and they arrive at this town and um, the people there some of the people there don't take too kindly Angela Lansbury who's a saloon madam or whatever is um takes offence to them being there because they they're taking custom away from the bar. Custom. <laughs> <laughs> and um there's basic there's a obviously there's a love interest uh, for Judy Garland who mm. is kind of on the other side of the the fence uh and you know, may want them out. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting and the music uh, it's really good, first of all. I want a bit more plot. I think there's too much music and too little plot. Um, also, there's like two... This woman gets two songs and her character's just so uninteresting. It's like they've given her ten minutes and she really doesn't capitalise on it. Um, she doesn't really act the scenes well um, and the songs are pretty insipid. Mm-hmm. But there are some decent tunes in there and um, I'd say if, if you like... If you like musicals, if you're gay, watch this film. Uh. <laughs> I was going to say if you like musicals, you like Judy Garland, but I may as well just go if you're gay. Same difference. Yeah. Good film. Any more? Um, yeah. Um, I've had quite a few rewatches and very random rewatches, actually. I suppose the weirdest of which, because I would never have really chosen to rewatch it, uh, really, is uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, you were not a fan of this, were you? Uh, what were you, five out of ten? Yeah, that's all, which is like average. Um, I think... Uh, also, you hated Ezra Miller in it as well. I did. You? I didn't... Now I knew it was coming, I didn't mind him as much. Uh, also, I suppose the, the side of that is that I've since seen Perksby Warflat and thought that he was great. Yeah, so the goodwill is there. Well, yeah, I mean, whenever you... Um, 
whenever you like someone uh, to the degree that you're going to um, have them right near the top of your uh, lineups for that particular year, I mean, there's going to be. I mean, you get a bit defensive. He's my win. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's I. It's a committed performance, so we need to talk about Kevin. I think. Um. I. I. I'm not sure it's right for the film. I think, really, my my problem with it this time is just how it's just completely complete lack of subtlety whatsoever. Um. To do. I mean, even to the point where the musical cues are ridiculously on point. Uh. Just two on two on the nose, really, for me. But it is. Obviously, it's interesting visually. There is very little getting around that. Uh, well, she's she's a. I think she's a good director. I loved Marvin Color. I thought she did really well with that um, visually too. But I mean, when you got Seamus off the leash, it's going to be. Um, inter- oh, oh, is it Seamus? Yeah, it's Seamus McGarvey behind the camera. So it's. Uh, it's one of these ones where you're impressed by it and you don't know who did it and then you look it up and you go, oh, of course. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the snub? Not really. It's happened so much now. What, the, the Globe sag? Yeah, and BAFTA. I mean, at the time it was a big one because uh, it was only really um, uh, Jane Horrocks that it happened to. Yeah. And now it's happened to Cosmo. Uh, was it was it was it was it Zhang Ziyi as well from memoirs? Yeah. Um, so it happened. It was it wasn't unprecedented, but now it now it happens quite often actually. So yeah, but mm. obviously not an the Academy's type of film. Mm. No, no, no. Um, but then again, it's beautiful. The Academy's type of film. It's depressing as hell. Yeah. Mm. No. Uh, Mm. So has it gone or has it changed the grade or not? Um, it's uh, it's probably close to it's probably a six now. It's, I think it's a bit better than that once you know what's coming. But um, I, don't, I think it's pretty far from a wonderful film. Yeah, I think I gave it a B or a B minus. Mm. Um, next one I have is called Curtain Up. It's from nineteen fifty two. It's um, it stars Robert Morley and Margaret Rutherford. I love Margaret Rutherford, that's why I watched it. Mm. And it's about basically these people who are putting on a play and Robert Morley's the director and he doesn't believe in the play, he thinks it's terrible. And then Margaret Rutherford turns up and she's the author. Right. And she kind of... She makes her feelings known when Robert Morley tries to alter it. So it's a comedy. It's all right, um... It's not as funny as it should be. They could have done more with the setup, but I did chuckle a lot, and um, it's worth. It's only like seventy-eight minutes, so it's worth a watch if you're kind of bored. But um, hmm. it's. I wanted it to be funnier, but it does have some cattiness in it, which is good. Hmm. I love like old-fashioned British comedies where people are just really catty. So most of them. Yeah. <laughs> Any more? Um, Simon Fishing in the Yemen. God, really? <laughs> but then I quite liked that the first time around. Um, I think, I still think Christmas Scott Thomas is hilarious. Um, I'm less high on, um, uh, oh God, what's his name? Ewan? 
No. Oh, the Sheik. The Sheik. Yeah, the Sheik. It was. Uh... God, how long ago was this film? About two years ago, wasn't it? Anyway, um, did you review it on the podcast? Anyway, um, yeah, um, it's still entertaining, but uh, it's still another one that is just beautifully shot. I mean, yeah, Lassa House, Lassa Halstrom. if he, if he does anything, then... Um, anything he, well. Yeah. Then then he do, his films do And that's nice. debatable. <laughs> yeah. Is it Oliver Stapleton? He usually has um, shooting his films, uh, I think. Uh, and with him, it would usually be... It would look okay for about 20 minutes, and then there'd just be an absolutely stunning uh, shot in, in between uh, scenes. Just to like... like we've had the scene, okay, here, look at this piece of gorgeousness, and now we're going to have the other scene. Uh, this one was uh, shot by uh, Terry Stacy, who's much more of an indie kind of uh, cinematographer. Stuff like the Dawn Floor, Adventureland, okay. um, uh, one uh, Friends with Money in Her Shoes. Uh, so, uh, I like all of this, those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fifty-fifty. Um, he's. Uh, it's a. It's a. Is it? Is it it's, this is probably his career best for me, uh, in terms of the photography. But um. cool. Um, <clears throat> the last one it, I've got is a rewatch too. It's time after time, which I've, I think I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. So I'm not going to go on about it. But basically, it's about um, H.G. Wells um, in the Victorian era has created a time machine and he's announced this to all of his friends. Oh, I remember this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, one of his friends turns out to be Jack the Ripper. The police come in to arrest him and Jack the Ripper takes off in the time machine to 1979 and H.G. Wells has got to track him down, chase after him, track him down, and then he ends up falling in love with Mary Steenburgen. Well, why wouldn't you? Exactly. This is Malcolm McDowell um, in the lead and he's really great. Um, it's just such a fun film. I, it was something that really cheered me up when I was not feeling well mm. last weekend. So, mm. yeah. So, right. So, uh, preconception corner. Mm-hmm. Right, this week we do Survivor, Black Hole, Thin Ice, and Spy. Preconceptions for Survivor. Um, Jovovich, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say I was a massive fan of the Resident Evil films, but I've watched quite a few of them. Really? Uh, yeah, so I find I find her a, a, a strong uh, presence in action. Okay. Uh, and she didn't have, she didn't really have much to do in the Fifth Element, but um, she was fine. Um, so she's not a uh, mega plus for me ever, but I mean I do think she's a solid enough actress in 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 an action type genre. Uh, I'd forgotten who I thought it was, I knew it was someone Bondish. I thought it was Clive Owen by the time I actually got around to watch it, so that wasn't a big exception. And I, I knew originally that it was James McTeague, which would not have been a plus, but I'd forgotten by the time I watched it, so I wasn't going in there with any active good, uh, bad will. Yeah. Not John McTeenan. Yeah, that would have been better. <laughs> um, I knew it was James McTeague too. I quite liked V for Vendetta, but 
the Raven was terrible. Mm. Um, Mila Jovovich, I like her in what I've seen her in, but that's not been much. Mm. I saw her in a film called A Perfect Getaway, mm. um, which was kind of, it was interesting anyway, and she was quite good in it. Um, but I wouldn't, I mean, it's not a draw for me, but she seems to have a nice presence. Mm. I didn't know that Pierce Brosnan was in this. Mm. Um, I I knew it was about kind of British Secret Service and so mm. that was I didn't know anything more than that. I hadn't seen any trailers, so right. Okay. Black and Ice. Do you, um, I've already reviewed this on the podcast, but would you have had any preconceptions about it? Um, not really. Uh, just, uh, they had good word about it, and, uh, I, I really didn't, I, I've forgotten quite a lot about this film, actually, so, um, I didn't really have any, didn't really remember that much about it. Well, it won Berlin mm. last year, um, so, before I see it, so I knew that, so that's why I saw it in the first place, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, but I've already reviewed it, so not really any preconceptions there. Um, what about Spy? Um, Spy, I thought the trailer looked alright, actually. Um, mm. I like Bridesmaids. Um, yeah. Melissa McCarthy, I like in Bridesmaids, but she's getting a bit, her stick's getting, wearing a bit thin with me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very, uh, uh, not very likeable, and it's very harsh now, most, most of the time. Um, uh, what else? Uh, a new Rose Byrne was in it. That's not a plus. Don't like her. Um, uh, Statham and uh, Statham doing comedy is a question mark. I think he's fine in action, but uh, and uh, Law uh, playing Spike. Yes, tick tick the box. Yeah. Okay. Um, massive plus for Paul Feig. I thought. Um, Bridesmaids was good. I thought the heat was great. So, um, definitely happy about him. Melissa McCarthy, I always like her, but I remember when I was reviewing Tammy um, last year that I was saying something along the lines of, I think she should. I'm just worried about where career is going because there doesn't seem to be a lot of variety. Um, So that was a preconception, I guess. It looked a little Johnny English, but I wasn't that big of a fan of Johnny English. So I was hoping it was going to be better than that. Mm. Um, I knew Jason Statham was in it. Uh, but I Same preconception as you. He doesn't do comedy usually. Mm. Rose Byrne, I quite like. Mm. Someone's got to. <laughs> right, so... Oh God. Uh, so I'll I'll do Survivor, shall I? Yes, please. Right, Survivor begins pretty much inside the uh, U.S. Embassy. Uh, there's a group of people who are working there who are spearheaded by uh, Cal's favourite, Dylan McDermott. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> if it, it'd be great if he could act, but yeah. <laughs> but he, most of the time he doesn't have to. <laughs> That's so, exactly what I was thinking during the film. Just please, can you be better? Just, oh, I thought you were thinking, just keep the camera on him. <laughs> so Mil- Milojovic is has recently been uh, transferred there. 
she's a high flyer, and uh, she's coming in with a, a stricter eye on uh, potential on uh, visas that have been given. She soon uncovers uh, some suspicious behaviour that uh, has uh, seen a, a handful of scientists given visas, where she's now cracking down on this. And uh, when she uncovers this, her, the rest of her team are whacked, for want of a better term, by, by Pierce Brosnan's evil uh, assassin, who's called The Watchmaker. And uh, uh, she goes on the run after uh, she is implemented. They assume that she's uh, done it. Of course they do. Mm. Wouldn't be a film otherwise. <laughs> Um, do you want to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score on this? I think uh, this would have something like 29%. Three. What? Three percent for Survivor. Which I feel is unfair. <laughs> I just think it's too average to be three. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But is it, the, is it a situation when people just think it's mediocre? Yeah. And nobody but, hates or, it? Mm. Nobody gives it an actively good review. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's completely average. Mm. I think um. the only thing that's actually subpar in it, I mean, I think it looks really good. I think the cinematography is very clear and, and striking. I think the uh, photography of stuff, uh, particularly at night, is uh, very well captured. Um, the end, a, definitely. The well, it just all, all the way through, well. all the um, uh, linking uh, montages, the shots of the city... I think it. I think it looks really, really good. Cinematography um, by Danny Ruhlman, uh, who just, who uh, has worked with uh, McTeague before. Also shot Little Fish uh, back in two thousand five. So he's not. Uh, he's got a bit of form there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the weakest part of the film is the screenplay, because some of, uh, and particularly yeah. some. Of, I, I'm not one of these people who limits screenplay to uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Because very often I uh, characterisation is a big thing for me, uh, but really some of the dialogue in this is so uh, blindly, flag wavingly um, uh, patriotic and trite in in, in doing so that uh, when they're there talking about their motivations, you just do kind of roll your eyes at some of the, the stuff they co- they're coming out with. What's give me an example? What? Oh God, I didn't, can't remember, can't memorise any of this track. It's too inane to even bother to commit to memory. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't struck by that as much as the actual writing in terms of... There's a, I mean, the opening's good enough with the explosion and everything, and I think they set the film up well. Mm. But we, after a certain point, you stop learning anything about the plot, and it just becomes a long chase sequence in kind of the middle third of it. Mm. Um, and there's no real edge to it. I mean, there are films that are basically just chase films, um, but they it's don't. It's not ask... the Fugitive, is it? No, it's not the Fugitive, and it's not um... Enemy of the State. Yeah, well, the thing with it is, I mean, Rosalind's supposed to be this world-renowned assassin, and he gets about 17 million shots at Yovovich uh, and never kills her. <laughs> yeah. Just it's on the basic mm. storytelling level. Basic, basic believability, it, it, it isn't there. Um, it's way too uh, black and white with certain characters, uh, 
what Angela Bassett is doing in this film. Yeah. I've got no idea. Well, it's interesting to compare Angela Bassett with Alison Janney this week, mm. given similar roles, but so much... Well, we'll get mm. onto it later, but mm. very different in execution and mm. the purpose of the roles. Mm. What do you think of... Uh, well, what do you think of Miller uh, in general? I thought she was... I quite like her, actually. There's something about her that I like. I don't think it's an, an acting, a conscious no. acting... I don't think she's particularly good in this. I mean, she's fine. No. She's quite good. I mean, but it's not... It's not. Even though it's not great, it's not. It's clearly not phoned in. No. No. And and she has a very expressive face at times. I, I don't know if it's just the structure of her face that I like. I don't know what it is. But. Well, she's a supermodel cow. <laughs> but she did, yeah. I, I, I found her engaging enough. I think if she had been more, if she'd had a better material around her, she might have been more mm. um, propelled into giving us more. You know, mm. I, I feel like she's the least of the film's problems. Yeah. I mean, because I was whining about the dialogue, but then again, the, the plotting is pretty ridiculous as well, because like, she gets into America. Uh, just as you've got every yeah. single... Uh, and then they set up this whole thing that uh, every bit, all the police and all this stuff are going to be chasing her. They've, they've done a couple of inserts to the boss inside, the security boss inside the airport. And she just ends up waltzing out of the airport and then, then the first person who taps on the shoulder is, oh, by the way, I'm an off the, off the cab book... Uh, yeah. Off, off the book's cabbie. And yeah. I, I can... In this problem that the screenwriter has just presented to you is just completely out of, the, out of the blue now. It's just gone. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> And the only reason that she's ever chased in the film is because she's kept a bloody ID on. I yeah. mean, what? How bloody stupid's that? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> um, but I was like, why have they not just arrested her at the airport? It's very unclear as to whether she's in the air when they find out, or mm. whether she's landed, or. Mm. 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 Um, I found the film very dry in general. Um, it's got absolutely zero humour. No, yeah, you're right, it is humorous. Very, not, it's not got much ease about it. Um, I don't think it's directed particularly well. But it's not got a lot, whole lot of personality either. It's sort of like if ITV had made a feature-length drama. Yeah. Because it's a very domestic story. It's something that would, that could have been devised easily on TV. On British TV, hmm. which makes you wonder what the budget is, really. I mean, that is really the place for it. It is, um, I suppose, the only thing is you do have a bit more scope, uh, but then uh, for the end, mm, you have a bit more scope. But it's a, it's that sort of level of film of, of story, uh, and frankly, with the way even British domestic TV goes, I mean, uh, there are better uh, state of play. Yeah, um, I was thinking of. Um, I always think of Melissa George. <laughs> but Melissa George had a spy thing for, that was over about six episodes or so, and it got cancelled, but it was, it was hunted, it was cool. But um, that, that was better than this. But mm. 20, 20 million budget. Well, it looks nice, and they've got named people. That's probably where most of it went. Filming in Times Square isn't cheap. Yeah, it's not bad for 20 million. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see Francis de la Tour in something. And Robert Forster. Weird accent, yeah. Mm. 
But yeah, uh, just um, it's I don't understand my Joe rant of the week. It's not really a rant. I just don't understand how people could hate this enough to give it through uh, to collectively have one in thirty-three people give it a decent review. Yeah. Is it 33? Well, three, oh. three, three times 33. <laughs> uh, I, I doubt yeah. 99 people have seen this. Like. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, it must be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I just think there's, there's too much... I think it's fine. I think there's too much wishy-washy about it. I did like the finale. I thought that was one of the strongest elements of it, even though it kind of reminded me of other things like Strange Days... Mm. Um, I don't think it's completely original, but no. um, I was I was braced put it that way when when uh, Jovovich and Brosnan have their rooftop exchange. Mm. I thought it was fairly bracing. I thought it was certainly went up a gear mm. for me in that in that last. The stakes seemed to be high enough to care. Yeah. Um. Mm. Oh, it's a, yeah, yes. Um, there's just, uh, but there's uh, motivations very uh, surface level. Um, stuff gets, uh, stuff gets, uh, layers of who's chasing it just gets dropped and thrown out the window. Um, it's not the most uh, streamlined or nuanced of narratives, but uh, it's fine. It's a decent watch. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a. Possibly generous C plus, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, it's okay. Yeah, five out of ten, low, low three stars. It's fine. So um, tell me, tell me about black coal thin ice. Black coal thin ice. Again, um, this, <laughs> again, yeah, second time around. This is a film from uh, China. <clears throat> it starts. It starts off in 1999, where there is a discovery of body parts along a sort of railway line that transports coal across China and um, after that it fast forwards to 2004 where a detective played by Fan Liao uh, has just handed has just had his uh, divorce papers handed to him by his wife so he's really depressed and everything. Is he about to get in a helicopter and uh, fly into the middle of an earthquake zone? No. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Shepard. Just imagine um, no. him in Day After Tomorrow now. Oh, God. In his ski gear, Dennis Quaid's. <laughs> Do you remember Dennis Quaid? It's like the world ends and he just digs his ski gear out of the attic. It's brilliant. <laughs> so glad I had so many winters in Whistler and Chamonix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get many more. <laughs> Um, right, yeah, anyway, he's just had his divorce papers handed to him. There's a discovery of another body in similar circumstances, and it turns out that both victims are romantically linked to a woman who works at the laundrette. Yeah. So this detective uh, starts to follow the woman in search of answers, but he may be developing an attraction to a woman. Yeah. And... It's sort of, it's very noirish. Um, you got the heartbroken alcoholic detective um, 
falling in love with the female suspect. There's very sort of shades of Chinatown. Yeah. You know, and the fact that there's this mystery um, surrounding the woman, and she kind of holds the key to the solution, um, like with Bay Dunaway in Chinatown. Mm. Um, and their relationship's really, really um, magnetic. Sort of, this is the second time in a row, uh, second week in a row, but I think the shades of Wong in the mm. relationship. Um, in the way that they find each other and there's not a lot of dialogue communicated between them. It's mainly expressions. Mm-hmm. And the leads are so great. Um, Fan Liao's just terrific. Um, he's very charismatic. Extremely. A sort of... Um, kind of like... What's that? Nikolai... Lee Cass, yeah, yeah, kind of char- charismatic in that way, kind of without needing to try, yeah. Um, and then Loon Meigui or Loon Meigui, um, mm-hmm. is the woman, and she's also very expressive and really, really convincing in this, very authentic performance. Um, it's very gritty, so it, like it really like makes China seem a terrible place to live. <laughs> But it's still, it's still really striking. It's sort of like striking, but it's unpolished. Right. You get me? So mm-hmm. there's like a sequence where a biker happens upon this detective. He's got drunk out of his skull. He's on his bike and he's just collapsed at the side of a tunnel. And the camera... It's like Gaza. Basically. Did you see that? Um, there's a documentary about it. Mm. Oh. Sounds like a train wreck. Well, that would be appropriate. <laughs> but anyway, the camera's on this bike as it approaches the detective, and it's shit, it's vibrating like the bike in the snow, and it's really kind of dingily lit, but it's just such a really, really memorable shot. Mm. Um, and I find it quite um, bold and brave for the director to sacrifice real like kind of luscious cinematography in favour of something that's going to be more appropriate to the story mm. um, it really really works uh, and I've got doubts as to whether you'd like this yeah. you, I think... you have such doubts <laughs> what's that from? doubts is mostly oh god you blew out my candle <laughs> um yeah, I think you would, but I think you'd have reservations because it's got some idiosyncrasies, which I don't think you'd be on board with. Mm. So, because they kind of play with the tone, and I know you can be quite funny about the tone being yeah messed with. Mm. But there's a scene uh, near the end where the lead guy basically walks into a um, council sort of town hall or whatever, and a lot of people are um, doing ballroom dancing. Mm-hmm. And he puts, like, kind of disco music on and starts disco dancing while the people are ballroom dancing. Right. It's sort of weird, like, Asian disco. I don't know if that's a genre or whatever, but... Um, <laughs> and um, at the end, the end is very abrupt. It sort of ends as a firefighter is going up a... 
um, crane things. What is, what you call those things they use to lift firefighters up to buildings? Cranes. Cranes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of ends like halfway up, halfway up the building. You know, it's it's weird. And then it, the song playing over the end credits is this disco song. So there's like two disco songs in it, which kind of really jolting and not exactly in keeping with the rest of the film. Mm. But I found that quite, I don't know, strangely endearing. appealing. Yeah, endearing, yeah. Because yeah, it could have ended easily on like pipes or strings or, you know, mm. something moody. Uh, and it completely rejects that. Um, and I think that kind of goes well with the general amateurish of it not necessarily just lack the, of polish yeah yeah the yeah low budgetness um so it's got this really odd appeal rather than vivid you know vivid visual flourish but it's um the story is very compelling and the acting is really good so um a minus for black cloth and ice and that is in my top 10 of last year good stuff right right so spy film of the week yep Mm-hmm. Alright, me, yes. Take it. Go for it. Go for it. Right. Spy begins with Jude Law being his usual fine self with the <laughs> extraordinarily intended pun uh, that his name is Bradley Fine. He is a, an American agent who is on a mission and in his ear is, quite literally, <laughs> Is Melissa, is Melissa McCarthy. She is sat in front of a load of screens back at uh, Spy Central and uh, she's looking at a load of heat maps and so she gets to see uh, who's coming at, who's coming towards him when. She's basically the eyes and ears for everything that he can't see which allows him to do his job to the best of his ability. He goes in there, accidentally kills somebody because after all this is a comedy who, who was the only person who knew where a bomb was and uh, mm. then in chasing uh, said bomb he eventually ends up uh, being uh, dispatched by uh, Roseburn, and uh, she informs the, everybody that she knows who uh, all the agents are, and so therefore Alison Janney, who's the head of the uh, uh, spy, uh, what you call it, um, not corporation, spy agency, yeah. uh, she sends in McCarthy, who's ten years uh, divorced from her time in the farm. <laughs> oh God! Don't even go there after the Tammy thing. No, 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 exactly. Uh, but um, uh, she's uh, uh, one of the uh, only options they have uh, in order to uh, send somebody after her without being clocked as an agent. Yeah. Hmm. Um, firstly, do you buy that setup? A, do you buy that setup? And B, does it matter in a film like this? I don't think it matters. I don't buy that Melissa McCarthy would have been one of their uh, top recruits who then just goes behind the scenes. I wouldn't necessarily buy that in order to do Melissa McCarthy's job, she would have to be an agent, um, which they seem mm. to imply. Um, but it's not like she's come from nowhere, mm. which is which I feel is better. It's not like she's just suddenly, you know, busting out these moves and like. Mm. Kick ass at times without having training. Yeah. At least they've kind of mm. built that up a little bit, but. Mm. But I don't think it matters in this kind of film because it is a comedy. Yeah. In fact, it would probably be funnier if she had no training. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I did find this film really funny, though. It um, is amusing. Yeah. And I want to say, this is opposite of the Jawright rant. Can mm. we get, like, an advocacy <laughs> soapbox segment going on? Because I want to sing the praises of Paul Feig, because I think he's an incredibly important director. He's making R-rated films, female-centric films. He's celebrating the funny women in film. Um, he's creating proactive female characters. He's written this as well. Um, because Mac- McCarthy, Janney and Hart are the only ones in this film, really, who get the job done properly, mm. who achieve the mission. Because Jude Law's not really making much impact. No. Um, and Jason Statham's hopeless. So I, I just think it's really good that we've got this, um, that we've got somebody who is, who is showing a different side, who is making mainstream films, but films that you can get behind, <clears throat> and they're funny. Well, it's interesting if you look at uh, uh, his filmography or his history. It's it's mainly TV based, and the two uh, ones that he was most commonly working on are the American version of The Office and Nurse Jackie. But if you look at his other stuff before that, the episodes that he does are the ones you remember uh, if you watch those shows. So I've watched about four or five seasons of Parks and Recreation and the one episode of that he did was a brilliant episode. And uh, it's the same in Weeds. He only ever did three. But one of them, and these are episodes that you see the title of the episode, which you might not even have known that was the title, and you know immediately, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's like that yeah. with with his, 30, with his 130 Rock episode as well. So either. Would he, he have written that? Or? No, no, no. So it's either he gets the scripts, but but it, regardless of whether it was a particularly good script that week or not, he's the one who is, who's, who's making the more uh, memorable episodes. So there's no. There's no I don't think there's any coincidence there when you've got three different ones that are uh, what's that, uh, series that I've seen quite a lot of and you just go, oh yeah, great episode for each one of them. Yeah, um, I agree. It can't be uh, it can't be a coincidence. Um, I want to pro- possibly create an issue here. I thought Rose Byrne was the best thing in this film. I thought she was terrific. Um, and <laughs> that's it, basically. I just think she really um, played up to the character and she really committed to it and it worked for the film. Like, the moment where she pushes the gun across or attempts to, it's just hilarious. I think my problem with it isn't... It's... I Half of it is... The, is just what she's been told to do. Because why on earth a Bulgarian... And they do make one joke out of it. But why on earth uh, an, an Australian actress who's playing a Bulgarian in an American film is doing an English accent? I've no yeah. idea. Yeah, that's interesting, I mean, yeah. I mean, what? Is it just because she's the villain so she's got to have a British accent of some description? I don't know. But... Uh, Aside from that, it's like she's got... I don't get why... I watched... Um, actually, didn't put this in the Red Light District. I rewatched Jumping Jack Flash 
uh, it was on recently. Oh, I like that. It is funny. Uh, and I, w- I used to watch that quite a lot when I was a kid. And uh, what would what happens is when you watch something that used to, was on it, uh, let's say, the other side of the news on ITV in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, it would it would be dubbed, and you'd have all the swear you'd have to, all the swear words cut out. So I saw a lot of films like that, and mm. then you see them like, probably like 15 years later. You just watch it because you used to watch it when you were a kid, and then there are all these swear words, and you start laughing because the instead of uh, the, because they just it shouldn't be just because it's swearing that it's funny, but it, it, sometimes it just is. Yeah. With this, I think there's a lot of extra swearing into, uh, and that's supposed to be funny, but it actually just like, makes me just think, well, why are they all swearing so much? Uh, I think that's there was more, and uh, her character, the way it's written, is the most um, uh, glaring offender on that front. So again, I don't necessarily think it's Burns' fault, but uh, there, there, there are a couple of things with what she, with the excessive swearing that her character is having to do, coupled with the accent with which she's having to do it. Um, yeah. it, it was just a couple of false notes for me. So, but um, she's better than usual. I just think that she doesn't bring anything to the party. I don't see. I don't find any uh, charisma or real life in her performance uh, in, in in this one. I think she's just a blank slate, and she just lets the the, the uh, what's on the page do the work for her. Um, mm. Depends what you think of the stuff on the page, I suppose, as well. Yeah, mm. I think some of the issues um, from a writing perspective could have been ironed out in the process a little more mm. I and mean, when you get to the plane for instance and then she makes up this story about her dad having hired her mm. as a bodyguard mm. I think that is dodgy um, I don't buy that Rose Byrne would believe that mm. um, I just think he, he could have done something else there uh, uh, with the writing, I mean, this is an incredibly predictable film. Do you think it matters? Um, I th- I don't think it's, I don't think the end's predict. I, no, I don't think it matters. Short mm. answer. Mm. But I think the point is, it's a formulaic film. It's a satire, so it's a satire on a, an already established formula. Mm-hmm. So. The formula, the plotting, is not really going to be unpredictable. But I think the jokes are unpredictable, mm. yeah, I would yeah. say. Statham, especially concerning Statham near the end, which I thought was, he was really funny as well, surprisingly. Uh, I think, for me, the, sort of, the stuff that um, hit home the most with the humour, I think, was more of the silly stuff. Um, so the, vi- the visual silly stuff rather than the one-liners necessarily. So, like with the whole uh, infestation at the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the where you just like have a cut to someone, it's just there's a mouse just like randomly all over all over a chest. Yeah. Or um, uh, what happens the first time McCarthy is uh, called upon to deal with a bad guy, and the aftermath, like just the repeated aftermath of that. It's not just a simple. Yeah. The what. Yeah, it's the not. Knife thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not a simple uh, bridesmaids gross out thing. It's more. It gets. It's sillier than that, and um, I think it works better because of that. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the um, the female trio, Jenny McCarthy and Miranda Hart? Um, I never really watched much Miranda Hart. Um, uh, she, she is quite funny. 
Um, I think it was hit and miss. I think she was hit and miss. I think there were times when she was very funny in this, and I think mm-hmm. the times where it just seems like she's just some just trying a bit too hard. Agree. Yeah. Um, I did find the stuff with. I think the fifty fifty cent falls exactly into that. I think the first bit of his cameo is really bad, and I think the second bit of his cameo is really funny. So I think what that's the plan. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the so I think the thing on the stage is really bad, and I think the thing at the end is really funny. So I think. Uh, it's kind of that's kind of emblematic of her uh, contribution to the film as a whole. Yeah. What about Johnny? Uh, yeah, which is class, always. Yeah. yeah. There's also I like the visual. I think there are a lot of visual gags in this, mm. but just the general um, McCarthy having to be these terrible aliases. Mm. Um, it's just funny in general. Um, I do think McCarthy. I want to kind of backtrack slightly and say that even though I don't think she varies a shtick that much in this um, or in anything really mm. I think that she is a different character in everything um, and it's it's kind of I enjoy her I think fair enough stick to this but as long as you're working with people like Paul Feig and not the person who directed Identity Thief. Well what I liked with this is that when she does get into her obnoxious, abrasive type, so the fallback persona for her, it's actually against the character, it's when the character's having to do this uh, in order to, uh, for self-preservation uh, so Yeah, unnatural it, yeah, really. yeah, so I like that um, aspect of it, I think that, that works and does make it a bit different and so it's not just her normal, um, or what's becoming her normal type thing Yeah um. Yeah, I thought this was really um good stuff. Um, it's, it's a good time. It's um it does what it says on the tin. Uh, it, it is it is amusing. Um, I think it takes a little while to get going. Yeah, frankly, but yeah. but once it does, it's um it's it's breezy enough, and it doesn't obviously it's comedy. It doesn't take stuff seriously, and uh, it it does shift along. It it it. it, it after it st- after it gets going, it doesn't then uh, drag at all. I don't think. No. Um, quick word for Peter Serafinovich. Which one's he? The Italian. Well. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, very fun. Well, not really Italian, but yeah. Yeah, yeah very fun. Very, yeah. Fun, very fun. I'm gonna give this a B. I don't think it's quite as good as the Heat, but I think it's better than Bridesmaids, so I'm giving it a B. Mm. I think I prefer Bridesmaids, but um, uh, this is a very, very decent film, very high three stars, so six out of ten. Awesome. Mm. Okay, shag Mario Kill. Right. Um, so I'm going to shag uh, Black Cold Thin Lights because I haven't seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then of the other two, uh, I would uh, marry Spy and kill Survivor because uh, I don't think Spy is particularly bad, but Spy would be a more entertaining watch every week for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I would do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Across the board. The position. Right. Um, Jovovich, still a yes. Uh, Spy, Roseburn, yes. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Is this the first time? Yeah. Yeah. What was it, the wig? <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Just yes. Um, so... Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a slew of others, but uh, I'll just be nice and uh, hang bronze medal around Poots' neck. Awesome. Mm. Um, the Garrett Gage. 
We'll start with Survivor and um, Pierce Brosnan is a no. And Dylan McDermott is a yeah, no. Yeah, Garrett. But that's Garrett. Only, be- only because of Garrett. Once upon a time, yes. Yeah. Once possibly. upon a time, yes, for both. Yes. Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, mm. Black Coth and Ice Family Hour is very dashing, but it's a no. Mm. Uh, Spy. Jude. Jude is a no. Never is for you. Oh, never a yes for you. Not really. Mm. Jason Statham's a yes. Oh, come on. Surely he's um, got to be a uh, say do clause for when they uh, make him the look cap, ridiculous. The black cap. No, when, when he turns up with a moustache at the end on the dance floor. I was kind of digging that. Oh, God. The 70s porn vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I don't know what it is, because he's not as good looking as Garrett, but it's it's a different... I can't explain it. It's a sexuality. It's an energy. Mm. Bobby Cannavale. Yes. Well, you're say yeah, you are going to say yes. I'm not going to say yes. You're going to say yes. <laughs> I already wrote him off completely. Yeah, but he looked good week. in this film. He did look good, but he didn't look as good as Garrett. Mm. So it's a no. Mm. Uh, Peter Serafinovich, all right, but no. Yeah. Um, so it's a two point on the gauge. Hmm. I'm I'm somewhere outside of uh, New Jersey. A pack of wolves is howling in a forest on behalf of Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> New Jersey, yes, <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> last week. Did, he was um, in Danny Collins's character living in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, we have a website, it's moveforpodcast.com. There may be a compilation episode coming before the next episode. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to put together. Mm. Probably a while. It's a uh, century and a half. It's a century and a half mm. next week. Um, we're on Twitter at Move for Podcast, Facebook in the Move for Podcast, um, Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner. Mm. So are we going to do something special for 150? Are we going to have some kind of... Get, get, get it done in under an hour. Something special. We've already done that. <laughs> can we have some kind of... I don't know what we can do. We'll have to try and think of something. Maybe a retrospective of things. Because <laughs> there isn't much next week. Really? We've got Chris Pratt. And dinosaurs? And dinosaurs. Mm. Which, well... I'd rather look at Chris Pratt, but... Yeah. Um, we have the look of silence... What's the look of silence? That's Joshua Oppenheimer's latest delight. Oh, it sounds like an absolute laugh riot. Yeah. And, have you heard about this? London Road? Yeah. Do you know what it's about? Depressingness. Do you remember when that guy killed all the prostitutes in Ipswich? No. About five years ago? No, is that what it's about? That's, it's a musical about a, a serial killer from Ipswich. And Tom Hardy's in it. I just knew that Olivia Colman was in it. It's not. It's not a drama. <laughs> Damn. Well, she was actually in um, Cuban Fury, <laughs> playing Nick Frost's sister. Oh my god! But yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, all you've got, all that's out tomorrow is uh, a Hindi film, a Tamil film, and then uh, Insidious Three, which is already out, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it does have good reviews. Yeah. And, but... and Jurassic World. So Jurassic Park is the only film next week at, the cine- at my cinema world. Yeah. So we will have to do something. Hmm. 
You want to read it? We can do 1937 or something random. Yeah. Who knows? Watch all the people tune in for that one. It's going to break records. <laughs> Do you have a jam? Um, probably, but not nothing that's springing to mind. Okay. My jam is by Saluna Samir, and it's called Should Have Known Better. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um... So next week, Chris Pratt. Mm. Well, it's um, it's worse things. I wonder if he's going to bring out his Essex accent. Oh, that was hilarious! To tame the beasts.
smashing ground. 